As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. I'm Luke Bogacki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Welcome to those of you watching along live. It's a special Monday edition of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Watch along live each time that we record the show on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Welcome also to those of you listening via traditional means on the podcast feed, wherever it is that you find your podcast. Big Jed, how does the world find you this Monday evening? Whoa, I was muted right off the bat, like right off the bat. In the famous words of our great and dear friend, Kyle Seipel, it's all good, homie. It's all good. Everything's all great, Luke. You know, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm getting in winter mode. Uh, here it is, almost Halloween, and starting to already get some projects rolling on uh, the the racing operation to get some things freshened up and make some changes. And you know, we're uh, starting a deep clean on a couple of couple of rides. So I'm my racing's done. Pretty sure I'm shut down. I've got JJ's truck in the header shop, getting some headers built for it, tearing down Jenny's race car, and the Nova needs nothing. Absolutely nothing. Perfect. So it's in the basement. Yes. It's in the basement, just relaxing. Everything's good. So I'm in winter mode, you know, not not, not a lot of racing for me to discuss personally, but still a lot of racing left for us to talk about here on the podcast. How are you, my friend? I don't know about Alabama, Big Jen. It feels like winter in Illinois. As of like yesterday, it went from pretty nice to pretty cold. Yes, it uh, it is getting that way in Alabama. It's rather chilly this evening. Uh, thankfully, it happened just in time for me to haul kids around the neighborhood on the golf cart tomorrow in literally freezing temperatures. Yeah. Uh, you know, pretty miserable. I'm sure the wind will be blowing as well. It should be a wonderful, wonderful Halloween. 
when to warm it right up. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Yeah, it should be great. <laughs> Just when I was ready, two weeks ago, I was ready. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. Pull the plug. I have one running race car left in the stable. Well, I have two. I have a junior dragster and one running race car. I, I can't I can't get enough. I'm sticking them in the box. I'm going to Gulfport this weekend, Big Jet. Got to go. Love it. Love it. Love it, Luke. I, uh, I definitely, um, I would love to be there. I mean, I, I want to keep racing. It just, you know, doesn't make sense. I need to shut the operation down. I got a lot going on, got projects going on here around the shop and the house and just got too many irons in the fire that I have to get handled. And again, got some maintenance and things that need to be done. So I'm clicking it off for the year, but I, I'm envious of your position to where you're going to get to take our main man, Gary, and go do some racing on the coast in the warmer air. Pretty good spot you're in. Yeah, my man was, my, my, my G-man, he was over it, over it, over it. I said, I've, I've stuck a fork in it for two weeks. He was like two months ago. Daddy, I've had enough. Done. He's back chomping at the bit. So we got to go. We got to go. I could more. For the show today, there was really, I was a little bit concerned coming in. There was really just one race on the schedule worth talking about, that being the... NHRA national event in Las Vegas, but it delivered all the way around. We've got some fun stories. We've got championship implications. We've got a little bit of controversy and we've got a handful, five NHRA summit ET series world champions crowned at Las Vegas in a, in a pretty wild runoff all the way around our champions for this year. D one kind of dominated this thing. Big Jed, Billy Boyko, Division one representative, he is your super pro world champion. Got that done over Tony Virgilio. Mike LaRose, another division one representative. He's your pro world champion. Got the win over division three's Randy Burwell. Sportsman Jake Biscay from division six is your world champion over Denny Renninger. Uh, Renninger, I believe, was from division one as well. And the EV, the street EV class, Josh Rogers from division three. Your world champion over Daryl Goheen representing Division 5. And in the bikes, which we didn't discuss last week, we, we just kind of overlooked the motorcycle. Start, sorry, two-wheelers. Patrick Rowetto, D5 rep, world champ over Michael Kanapaki from Division 1. Um, I guess first and foremost, Big Jed, big whiff for us. We picked the world champions last week. Not only did neither one of us manage to pick an accurate world champion, none of our picks even made the final. Yeah, like pretty, uh, pretty upsetting, if you will. I, I thought out of the two of us, you know, the very least we would do is pick a finalist and certainly thought that between us, especially spreading our picks out a little bit, would get a winner or two. So that's upsetting that we didn't get a finalist. It, it, it doesn't really confirm our position as the number one sportsman drag racing podcast hosts in the world. Um, we didn't look the part, but I still believe that we're going to retain that title, at least for the foreseeable future. But well, Luke, as yeah. I said, in the, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it's it's nice that we don't have any competition. That helps. Well, that definitely is is part of the equation. It's gotten us to number one. Yes, no doubt. Uh, but the racing conditions were absolutely ridiculous. I mean, outside of asking racers to race in the rain it couldn't have gotten any worse it really could it was cold the wind was gusting upward of 40 miles per hour Luke, and it was not always in the same direction and it was 
typical Vegas wind. It was blustery, but gusty. And as we'll discuss, and as anyone that's seen the box scores can attest to, the, the racing did not look great on paper, but it is conditions that I would not have loved at all. I mean, it, it's impossible racing, really is. It's Vegas, baby. This is... I, it is Vegas. Jed, I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't even watching on video. I was just keeping up in real time on live timing. And about a third of the way through first round, I just wanted to be the guy with a megaphone in the staging lanes going, it's fast. <laughs> I've ne- I don't know that I've seen anything quite like this from this this caliber of competition. And it speaks to to what you just said, the challenges of, of racing in Vegas on a cold fall day with the wind whipping in every direction. Obviously, it was helping push a little bit in this particular situation. We'll throw out the electric vehicles, the EV class. If we focus on the other 32 competitors that staged for round one, again, these are the best of the best, the division champions from all across the country, eight super pro cars, eight pro cars, eight sportsman cars, eight motorcycles. That is 32 individual entries that went down the racetrack in round one. In pro, Big Jed, there was one pair where both drivers went over the dial in. The winner of that was Mike LaRose, who went on to win the event. In motorcycle, there was one bike that managed to go over the dial in. That's three total, if you're keeping count, out of 32 entries. The other 29 breakouts, and most of them, weren't real close to matching the dial in Big Jed. Like sportsmen, I don't think anybody got within eight hundreds. It was crazy fast in round one. It was crazy fast, Luke. Obviously, there are some very experienced racers and uh, uh, talented racers in this field. But people that don't race in that kind of wind and those kind of conditions on the long track where you know you've got a 20 30% gain in mile per hour from what you're accustomed to and you know the the car doesn't slow down at the same pace it's impossible for for people that that just don't see that type of air certainly uh you know indicated in the the results but you know at some point you'd have to think that somebody would be like oh whoa man now this this is going to be stupid fast. Watch a pair or two in another category, maybe three pair break out like crazy and know that, okay, my job here is to hit the tree and get there last. That's what I have to do. And it's just like, and I, you could tell in my upper hour, they were, they were killing some, but it's just impossible conditions to where you can't, you can't dial for it. I mean, when you got 40 mile per hour wind blowing up your bunghole, it's, it's it's just it's impossible to deal with it really is and i hate it for the people that raced all year long and fought hard to get the opportunity to go there and compete to have to deal with that but it was the same in both lanes which is uh it that will discuss something that i don't feel like matches that a little bit later but it was the same in both lanes it was the same conditions for everybody and you know the, the best drivers came out on top and they did their job better than everybody else. So congrats to the people that raced in those conditions and got it done. Luke. Everybody that, that is holding that national championship in their category knows that they just accomplished something very, very difficult to accomplish. It was a job well done. 
to your point, Jed, let's just let's just role play a little bit. Let's say that I am a the pro eliminator division two champion. We'll we'll go to your neck of the woods, big Jed. Odds are it's very, very possible, if not likely, that I have not made a quarter mile run all season, perhaps in years. Like what's the nearest place to you that you can even go and race quarter mile, big Jed? Um, I could go. I could go make a quarter mile run on test and tune at either Alabama International, which is an hour from me, or Montgomery, which is an hour and a half from me. Where could you go um, compete in a quarter mile bracket race? Uh, I would say probably, um, I mean, I, I don't even know. Like, a quarter mile bracket race, I'd probably have to go west of the Mississippi. I really don't know where they're doing it. Maybe the extreme northeast. Yeah. You could go to... Wisconsin, maybe somewhere up that way, like due north. Uh, Mike could find somewhere in Wisconsin. Yeah. New Point England. Is we're 12 minimum hours from home to run a quarter mile bracket race. Like it just doesn't happen in the Southeast. Furthermore, if I'm that pro eliminator champion that has run nothing but eighth mile exclusively for years, perhaps decades, I think it's fair to assume I've run all season with my current combination and have not moved the dial in a tenth of a second. I would, that's fair, right? Very. Okay. And, and let's just assume like I am super prepared for this. Like I have a weather station to go and race in Nevada, in Las Vegas for the world championship. When I turn that thing on Sunday morning and it spits out, Hey, you should be 18 faster than yesterday. I'm going to tap that thing on the screen and be like, is this thing broke? What the hell? There ain't no damn way. And I, trust I mean, that. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that half maybe the majority of the field was in that boat like yeah it's fast there's no way i can predict how fast it is you know what i mean like it's 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 a really really tough spot to be in especially with that much on the line to your latter point though i just i think back i think i may have told this story on the podcast before jed if i if i have i apologize one of the first times that i raced nhra stuff right i think one of the first times that i ran Supercom. first time that i was really uh, presented with a situation like this. We're at the national event in Memphis and it's first round Friday morning and the front had blown through. It's God knows how much faster than yesterday. Yesterday it was 88 degrees. Today it's 50 something, right? And there's a tailwind, everything, like it's fast. And everybody in the staging lanes, the first couple of pair goes down and it's 874 to 879 on the 890. And oh my God, right? And and it's just all through the lanes. How fast do you think it is? How fast do you think it is? And I'm buying right into it. I'm like, how fast? I have no idea. What do I do? Well, this was right around the time. I think this was actually the second of Sean Langdon's back-to-back world championship seasons. So I don't waste any time. Like, I don't ask nobody. I go right to Sean. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, hey man, how fast is it? And Sean's calm as can be. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you mean? I go, I mean, everybody's going under, like, how, how fast is it? And he's, dude, it doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? I mean, it's going to be like two times faster than yesterday. Like, I'm freaking out, right? And Sean says, listen, you got to do two things right here. Don't red light and don't cross the finish line first. You do either one of them things, you lose. Don't do that, you win. That's it. And I'm like, nah, like, it can't be that easy, right? So I try to get caught up in it. I, I lose. Guess what Sean did? He was 20 dropped like stupid early to still be under but he didn't cross finish he won he won the race he won the world championship like sometimes you, you, we, we tend to make this a little bit more complicated than it has to be you watch through half of that field and you i mean i know that's a lot that's a big bet to just go all in on black 
first round for the national championship, but don't red light, don't cross the finish line first. Odds are good. Yeah, and Luke, I, I totally get how that uh, did not happen in the first, I don't know, six pair, seven pair. But if if anybody's paying attention, and not necessarily just the drivers, because they're in the lanes, they're, you know, they got the bubble guts, they, they, they're, they're fixing to run first round of this thing. So they're not really watching run by run, but somebody's got to be watching for them and come back and say, hey, dude, you know, I remember what this car ran in their time run. And I'm telling you, dude was on the brakes and just went nine hundreds faster than that on the brakes. You have to get behind. And it just didn't seem to be anybody's strategy. But, you know, again, there was 32 cars, 32 vehicles of some type. You'd think that back half would have would have had it like, all right. Here's the deal. We this is what we got to do. But again, yeah, easy for me to say I was sitting at home or I was actually at nine year old girl softball. But um, it, it's uh, it, it's a shame that they had to deal with that because most people, especially the people that points race and get that opportunity, just don't have to deal with that. You know, especially where we're from. Um, we no, get I twelve. Think, I think Super Pro went out twelve or fourteen mile per hour breeze here, Luke, and it's like, oh my gosh! I mean, this thing. This car is about to move 100, 100 and a half out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, these guys were dealing with 40 plus mile per hour gusts. I think uh, Super Pro went out last. And in their defense, they got closer than anybody else. And I'm telling you, too, there's an element. Like I watch sportsmen go 15 under, and I'm like, my seven second drag train doing that. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to dial down a tenth or what have you. But, and then Super Pro did get closer. In fact, there was a couple of instances. I think first round of Super Pro, Chuck Hawk, who was, I believe it was Chuck, your pick. He was. Yeah, Chuck was your pick. Did you see the run that he laid down? He was like nine take seven first round. Now, granted, yes. so take seven part could be a flaw in strategy, but he was only a few thou under. Like he made a really nice lap and it just didn't work. He did. Um, a couple of things that jumped out to me just performance-wise. First and foremost, I'll give credit where credit is due. I took a little, I took a little cheap shot at D1 when they kind of fell on their face in the in the Jags All-Stars. I'll give credit where credit is due. D1 showed out here, drove plumb across the country to Las Vegas had not only the super pro and pro winner, but four of the had finalists in four of the five categories from division one. So again, credit where credit is due really impressive showing from the Northeast division. And then some specific performances. We talked about Mike LaRose, your pro ET champion. He was 24 in the final big gen. That was his worst lamp off the bottom in three rounds for the national championship. That's pretty, pretty heavy stuff there. Yeah, most definitely a great performance by D1. That's impressive. Um, you know, we know there's a ton of talent up through there and, and some great sportsman racers. Uh, I know a friendly jab here or there probably gets them stirred up, but reality is, uh, you know, that this is not a surprise out of D1. They're, they're a talented, talented group, and it takes a lot. Lots of points racers up through there. They, they typically have uh, points battles with a lot of competitors in them at their – at their facilities. So when you emerge as the champion in a D1 facility, you you have done your work for sure. And uh, your comments about Mike LaRose, um, certainly spot on. That, that dude gets it done. He was definitely somebody I had my eye on in that group. I went with my main man, Steve Kelly, and Steve had a great strategy. Uh, he and I talked about it afterwards. And, you know, he, he left 009, but unfortunately his opponent did too. And you know, that just made it, it just didn't look quite the way that, that he thought it should look and certainly got crazy fast again in that run. So 
um, he he showed me the logbook and and it picked up a little more, got some more gust behind him on that one. But like I said, that was in the other lane too. So some tough conditions, great driving by all those drivers, and certainly the D one group, which had the longest haul, you know, went out there and made it pay off <laughs> big time. A heck of a performance out of them. One other quick note that I wanted to throw in about Josh Rogers, Division three rep that won the Street EV class. Um, not only did he knock out reigning, defending world champion Craig Merrilies in the first round, Merrilies is kind of like the Hulk of electronic electric vehicles. He's the man in that in that regard. Josh Rogers knocks him off, continues through to win two more rounds, highlighted by how about eleven take five in the final in the EV. Pretty that's a pretty unbeatable lap in Super Pro, much less in street driven electric vehicles. So, congrats to all of the champions of the Summit ET series. Yes, very well said. Uh, great performance and great run there by Josh Rogers, uh, getting by Daryl Goheen. But uh, I had my man Ross Gould in uh, in that one, and uh, and he turned it a little red in round number two. But um, uh, he's a tough racer, and and all those guys, you know, had their hands full. I'm sure in that type of win. But Luke, uh, one takeaway for me from uh, watching a little bit of coverage and seeing some videos, I think Danny Hoff may have posted or Ross Gould posted it, but the there was some booing in the crowd when the EV cars came up, which I think is totally ridiculous. Now, I say this, I say this as a, a guy that, as a promoter that has uh, stricken them from availability to, to come compete. And I, I was transparent with the reasoning behind that. And uh, again, I know that it looks like that I'm a, a hypocrite here, but I certainly don't have anything against the EV cars. Uh, just not sure they fit with our core program and our core customer. But the the booing them for driving across country to come out and compete in a category that uh, is is just different and new in the world of sportsman racing, that's unacceptable. I mean, whoever started that and then whoever followed in that should really check yourself at the door. I get that it's not top fuel and I get they're not loud, fire-breathing, alcohol-fed bracket sportsman cars like you like to see, but these cars are really cool. They're capable of some really cool things and they've got good people behind them. So I was really disappointed in the, the coverage that I saw uh, from the people booing them as they came to the starting line. I did not see that. I was not aware of it, but yet I could not agree more. Well said. Some other notes from Vegas on the sportsman side of things. While the Summit ET champions were crowned yesterday, none of the, the Lucas Oil Series winners were. That race got that portion of the event got pushed off to today, Monday, when it's finished. And let's start with a, a, a fun wild story how about mike moorhead's monday big jed did you keep up with this well i didn't but obviously uh you kept me in tune as to what was going on there and you know it's all about the story bro and this is a heck of a story so mike moorhead we've talked about him a couple of times recently up until a couple of weeks ago he was a championship contender in top sportsman until brandon miller said there will be no contention for the championship brandon miller run away and hid mike moorhead very much in contention to finish second. Like he's solidly into the top 10. Well, he makes the trip to Las Vegas for multiple purposes. He's going to get to claim his last national event of the season in Las Vegas. And oh, by the way, his daughter Jenna is set to marry one Chase Freeman, 
Monday afternoon following the event in Las Vegas. What could possibly go wrong? This is the this is the perfect plan, Big J. Except, as we just talked about, Mike is still in going to the semifinals when the race gets pushed into Monday. That creates a bit of a tight schedule, but hey, we can pull this off, right? We can, we have the best of both worlds. We'll win our first NHRA national event, Wally, and then go watch my daughter get married. This is awesome. It doesn't get any better than that. And Mike wins the semifinal round this morning. In the process of doing so, I want to say he kicks the rods out. I don't know what happened, but it was catastrophic engine failure. So what does Mike Moorhead do? Does he come back to the trailer, he throw in the towel, put his tux on, go to the, go to the chapel? No, sir. Mike Moorhead and crew swap motors prior to the final round in what has to be a mad thrash. Ultimately, it comes up just short. Doug Crumlich gets the win over Mike Moorhead, and it could not have been long after that final. They get him towed back to the trailer. He changes out clothes and heads to the wedding. What a day. That is an incredible story, Luke. Obviously, there's probably some people going what the heck is she doing scheduling a wedding on Monday? So, I mean, obviously she had his best interest at heart. This was the time to get married. She's leaving room for him to make it home from the Vegas event, knowing that he's likely racing on Sunday, going to come home and we'll knock this out on Monday and we're all good and everything will be great. What? They moved their racing to Monday. Oh my gosh, no. So now, you know, they're probably jockeying the schedule around just a little bit. Mike gets a couple of wind lights. He's advancing to the final. He's got to swap engines, all this going on. Obviously, according to the box score, the, the backup engine wasn't making quite the power that the uh, that the primary or, or main engine was making. And he, he ran a little off the dial and come up short to Doug Crumlich. But when it's all said and done, the the Winning would have enhanced the story slightly, but the story is still incredible either way. Uh, and congratulations to Jenna. I hadn't seen Jenna in quite some time. I hadn't seen Mike in quite some time. Great family. Really cool to see that that they moved all that around racing and was able to. He was able to make it all work. Uh, wonderful story. Hate that uh, that he kicked a you know well whatever broke whatever and and had to had to come up short in the final. But uh, it, it's a uh, it's that's true hardcore racing right there. When you when you're trying to make it to your daughter's wedding and you you know you think, okay, I just broke the engine's done, it's expired. This is the perfect time to say, you know, let's just go ahead and get changed and head to the wedding. But you don't even do that. You swap engines and go take your shot. Incredible story. From a a fun story to uh, I don't know maybe a, a little bit of uh, of conflict, a little bit of. Uh... What's the word that I'm looking for, Big Jet? Um, I would think uh, controversial. Yes, uh, that's it. Yeah. Controversy from Vegas. In specifically, and again, this, this doesn't really have anything to do with the competitors involved, but for the sake of the story, one James Cowie, Big Jed, loses in round four of Super Comp Eliminations yesterday evening. And then I pull it up today and James Cowie runnered up in Super Comp. How did that happen? We had a unique rerun situation, Big J. I'll set the stage and then we can debate. Nine cars remained in round four last night. Just to set the table a little bit more, Super Comp and the other sportsman categories completed third round way back on Saturday morning, Saturday before noon. Did not get back on the track Saturday. 
did not get on the track Sunday morning. I think there were a number of delays throughout the day, both Saturday and Sunday. Pushed fourth round all the way back till after pros had completed the race entirely Sunday evening. So we're talking 6, 6.30 Sunday evening. It's cold, as you mentioned earlier in Las Vegas. Nine cars remain in Super Comp for round four. In that round, they sent the by car first. It was Allison McCone. They sent two more pairs of cars. Neither car in the left lane could get down the racetrack, ran slow. At that point, NHRA said, that's enough. We're stopping for the night. We are going to finish tomorrow, which is not uncommon. What was uncommon was that they decided, they elected to rerun that entire fourth round, basically reinstating the two cars that had not seen their wind light come on in round four to rerun the next morning, this morning, Monday morning, one of those cars, obviously, James Cowie. Right call? Wrong call. What say you, Big Jed? Well, I have made this, uh, made my opinion known on uh, on Facebook, and I, I certainly did it, I hope, respectfully. But uh, to me, Luke, it is the right call. Um, I understand when cars have to run in the same conditions and the, the surface is, you know, maybe there's dew falling on it or whatever, and, and that it's equal in both lanes. It might be bad in both lanes, might be good. I get that. But anytime I think that there is a competitive advantage created that was not controllable, and I don't think all the technology in the world, I don't think would have got the, the left lane where it needed to be. I think it was just those type of conditions and, you know, it just wasn't going to come back. Sometimes when the weather's cool and things are going on, it's just, you know, it comes to a point where you got to stop. And the fact that NHRA recognized that very quickly, in my opinion, although some people would debate that as well. I think it was early enough that it it was not at the completion of the round. And they said, wait a minute, we got a problem here. We've got to stop. And the problem clearly cost competitors a fair opportunity to compete for win life. I think the right call was, and that's, you know, again, my personal opinion. I have seen, uh, I have seen some discussion online that well, they've never done that before. And I hate that happened because they've never done it before. Well, in my opinion, if all things were equal and they were they ran into this situation before and didn't do it, they got it wrong then and they got it right now. So I don't think just because we've always done it a certain way is the reason we continue to do it that way. I think that, you know, sometimes, again, sensible heads have to, to come together and make decisions. And those decisions are difficult. And I said online, that's going to be, I felt like the right decision was to rerun the, the racers that did not get a fair shake due to track conditions. And I thought that was an easy decision to come to. And I said, the difficult part is going to be telling the racers that got win because that stinks when you get a win and you manage to work your way, navigate your way down the racetrack safely and competitively got a win light, you feel like it was the same in both lanes. But I think seeing it happen multiple times without any success in the left lane for any of the competitors that were turned loose is reason enough to go, wait a minute, we didn't, we didn't give these guys what they deserved. And for that reason, we're going to stop. We're going to start back over tomorrow and we're going to rerun the pairs that, uh, that were impacted. I know that's not a popular opinion, and it was obvious by Chris Whitfield's post, which I thought was very 
well written. It wasn't some kind of rant pissed off, you know, that can't convince him he's he's wrong or, you know, looking for everybody to tell him he's right. He was just expressing his opinion. I thought he did it well. And I thought another thing Chris did well was said, look, I'm going to get over it. It is what it is. I'm going to get past this and I'll get ready for next weekend. You know, I'll be supporting NHRA next weekend. I thought Chris played big boy very, very well and played adult very, very, very well. I hate it for him and I hate it for the others that were impacted negatively. But in my opinion, the NHRA made the right. That's a reasonable opinion, warranted, well backed up. I couldn't disagree more, Big Jed. Um, <laughs> your point on, on Chris Whitfield, uh, he was on the short end of this stick. We said that uh, two pairs were rerun. It was Trey Vetter and his opponent. Trey had won the first go round. Trey won the second round. It was Chris Whitfield and the aforementioned James Cowie. Chris won the first go round. Chris's win light came on Saturday night. Chris's win light did not come on. I'm sorry, Sunday night. Chris's win light did not come on Monday morning. Now, I'll preface this, Big Jed, by saying that, that I know on a much smaller level, just as you do, that being a race director, not easy, right? It's full of subjective decisions like this one in which you ultimately, you can't win, right? Like there's going to be half of the field and half of the onlookers that agree with what you do and half that don't. I've mentioned I disagree with this and I had to ask myself, I kind of had to check myself. Do I, do I disagree with this based on history and experience or do I disagree with this fundamentally? Because like you mentioned, this is a move from NHRA that is largely unprecedented. And, and at least I come from a time where reruns at national events were non-existent. Like they just didn't happen. Up until three years ago, I had seen in my life one rerun at a national event. It actually happened to me when I was 17 years old, Big Jed. Do you know what happened? The power went out when I was at the eighth mile. Oh, look. Okay. Didn't get a time slip. That's that's the only that's the only national event rerun that I, I knew of up until we mentioned a couple of years ago, a big debate over John Labuse's rerun at the U.S. Nationals in 2020. That was timing system related. I didn't agree with it at the time, not to to question John Labuse. Like if if he says that he didn't miss the tree and he was 70 and he was 700 fast to 60, like I would tend to believe that. I just didn't like the precedent that it set set. Now, that said. This is a rerun based solely on track conditions. And you bring up really good points, Big Jed. The track obviously was not good. Perhaps the right lane was passable and the left lane was not, as you suggest. That's not unprecedented. If you've watched the, the professional coverage of the NHRA, like there have been, there's probably two races a year where it is an obvious advantage to be in one lane over the other. And the pros, they all pick that lane. And guess what? With little exception, nobody in the other lane has a chance. That's part of racing. I am of the school of thought that says when the starter says the track's safe, we're going, and both drivers agree to stage up and the track's safe, we're going, that race stands, period. At that point, like it's, it is on you to navigate the course better than others. And I've seen so many scenarios. And again, this doesn't make it right. But the precedent is like, I've seen so many scenarios where both cars all but crash. I watched Tommy Phillips and Sean Langdon in an early morning round of super gas at the US Nationals years ago. And it was like complete top fuel pedal fest. I don't think either one of them got within two seconds of the index and that race stood. Now that doesn't make it right or wrong to your point, 
but it is precedent. And, and I think it's conditioned all of us to say like, hey, once we stage up, we make that decision to go, it's on. I've shared some of my own stories, like the first national event that I won at Atlanta, I had a throwback Thursday on it a couple of months back. Like the track was awful at nine cars left and we knew it. I, I debated turning the throttle stop off after I did the burnout. Like I, that was once I decided to stage up, that's how it was, right? I, and I accepted those odds. And this particular facility, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, amazing place. If you've raced there at all, you know when it gets cold, when it gets windy, it's it can get sketchy. I can think of I can think of three specific rounds in the spring fling, not national event competition, in the spring fling, where I could not navigate the course, right? Either with two for me, one for my wife, and it cost us rounds for a lot of money in the spring fling. In each instance, did I expect a rerun? Did I even bring it up? No, because again, like we were both faced with the same thing. My opponent found out a way to get down the racetrack and I didn't, or Jessica didn't. Like that is fair, unfair, what have you. Like that is part of racing. Once you send it, I think the pair stands, period. Um, again, there's reasonable debate in both ways. I, what One thing I think we can agree, Big Jed, it is my understanding, and this came directly from Chris Whitfield. Do you know when Chris Whitfield found out that he was rerunning? When they called yeah, him I to saw the that, this morning. That, that, that part, you can, reasonable minds can disagree on whether or not there should have been a rerun. I think we can all agree it could have been much better handled. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about that. 99.9% uh, .9 of the failures in the world are a result of poor communication. Um, and good communication is is ultra important when there's something like this at stake. And uh, I definitely feel like that was not communicated very well whatsoever. And again, knowing how difficult that that uh, delivery was going to be, the NHRA didn't didn't do that the way that it should have been done. Those guys should have should have laid down their head in bed last night knowing that they were coming back this morning to rerun. And I feel like the racers that that were that got the losses knew last night when they laid down to go to sleep. But the racers that got Obviously, they still got up at the racetrack this morning. Obviously, they knew. Exactly. But they were still there. Their stuff wasn't loaded, strapped, and they wasn't gone. Uh, so, yeah, I think NHRA told the good stuff, but didn't tell the bad stuff. So, uh, not a fan of the way that it was communicated. And certainly, totally understand your your opinion and your points that you make and your like experiences. Um, however, I just feel like with the situation at hand, the way it is, and the, the, the lane not being able to be competitive for any of the people that tried to go down it, you know, it, it's one thing if there's a difference to me in not optimal track condition and unsafe track condition. So I feel like when they put themselves out there and decided that it was unsafe, that they made the right call. But you know, Luke, had they had they not decided to rerun, I couldn't have argued that. I mean, these are one of these. This is one of those things where there's no perfect answer, and no answer that's going to make everyone happy. Uh, you're going to upset one side or the other. They they made the decision they made. I'm not sure how it's getting received in the racing community. I hadn't been able to to look back over social media and really dive into it. But um, my guess is it's about fifty fifty. 
at least for the ones that are voicing their opinion. You know, the question is how many aren't voicing it that uh, don't want the don't want the blowback for how they feel. So this, and I think the 50-50, each side is is probably validating that this has no right. You know, it's my opinion one way, it's yours the other, and I can't, I couldn't tell you you're wrong for nothing on earth. So uh, tough, tough deal, bad situation. And again, the point that you made is the key here. Don't let yourself get in this position. You know, look at the track and and know what you're looking at and know that, you know, these conditions are terrible. It's dark. It's Vegas. The wind's blowing like crazy. It's cold. This is not where we want our racers to be and make the call early because somebody could have got it would have made this so much. Now, in this situation, the, the race director, I don't know if this is ultimately Matt DeYoung's call or Mike Rice's call. Like once it got to the point that it got to, you're 100% right, Chad. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? You, you're choosing between two bad decisions, right? Um, in retrospect, like it seems very clear that the only right decision was to not start that round of competition. Again, that's super clear in retrospect, but I think you've got a really valid point. There's nine cars left in Supercomp. There's quarterfinals in the majority of classes. So at that point, you've legitimately probably got three hours of competition to finish that race. I don't know that there's anyone on the grounds that thought it was realistic to finish that race that night with as few cars as would be going down the racetrack in those three hours, as cold as it was, and the 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 nature of that particular facility. And when you zoom out and think that, well, if we can't finish tonight, what's the point? And I think ultimately that probably wouldn't have been well received in the moment either, right? Nobody wants to stick around till Monday, but if if you have to prove that the racetrack is not capable of holding cars by wadding one up. That doesn't seem like the way to do it, right? So I guess kudos to them for pulling yeah. the plug when they did. But in retrospect, yeah, the way around this was to not start it at all, 100%. All right, let's play a little game. Let's have a little fun. Okay. Put some wagers out there, Big Jed. Kudos to our friends at Winlight Bets for putting this together for us. This is a little teaser of what's to come in the future as, as everything comes into place to allow Winlight Bets to do what Winlight Bet does. At this point, this is available. We're, we're special, Big Jed. This is available only to us. Rex and the guys at Winlight Bets have laid odds on the Lucas Oil Championships. We're going to play a little game. We're going to assume that you, Jed, and I each have $1,000 of mythical money that we're going to put down, wager on the Lucas Oil Series National Championships going forward. We've got odds in each category. We'll go through them. But the idea is we're both going to wager $1,000 each. We're going to come back in two weeks after the World Finals are done. We're going to see who's made the most money or perhaps who's lost the least. Given our recent performance, probably the latter. Ready for this? I am ready, Luke. I, uh, I'm not much of a, of a better, but Me neither. if this goes well... I might uh, I might dabble a little bit with Winlight Bets or, or other outlets. Uh, I mean, this could be the difference in me getting rich through the betting channel or staying out of it altogether. I'm excited. I'm not sure anyone gets rich through the betting channel, but it is entertaining. Oh, that sounded good. <laughs> Two classes that we will not be discussing. Stock Eliminator. Kyle Rizzoli clinched. Ova, we talked about that last week. He is the champ. And Top Sportsman. Brandon Miller, now it is official, Big Jet. It was not official a week ago. Brandon Miller, champ in top sportsman. So we won't discuss those. There's nothing more left to discuss. What we will discuss, probably the most entertaining championship battle throughout the season, perhaps also 
not the most dramatic as we go into the next two weeks. And that's super stock. And the reason it may not be as dramatic is because of what Brad Burton did today, Big Jed. It finally happened. I called it a month ago, but now I can say with certainty that Brian Warner will not be the super stock national champion this year. I said he was going to get past a month ago. He held that lead all the way to yesterday. Brian Warner finally got passed up by one Brad Burton. In fact, Warner now tied for second in national point standings with Kyle Rizzoli, but Warner can improve. He's done. So he is now no longer a championship threat. For the third time this season, Big Jed, Brad Burton and Kyle Rizzoli met in the final round this afternoon at the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And for the second time this season, Rizzoli got the better of it. He is 2-1 and one versus Brad Burton in final rounds. Burton's runner-up, however, puts him in a relatively commanding lead atop the Superstock National Champions. Commanding, if not quite comfortable yet. At this point, Tyler Kahili, Wyatt Wagner, they felt early this weekend, but they still have the best shot at overtaking Burton. With his victory today, Rizzoli also keeps his slim title hopes alive. In order to win the championship, what's Kyle Rizzoli got to do when he gets to Pomona, Big Jed? He can't lose second round. He can't lose third round. He can't lose fourth round. He can't lose fifth round. What's he got to do? Luke, I would say he's got to win the damn race. He's got to win the damn race, which sounds like a long shot, but Kyle Rizzoli is already your stock world champion. He's been to five national events this year. He's won a class at three of them. May not be that big a long shot. Burton, let's focus on him for a minute. He came into this race. First off, if he wins the national championship, Big Jed, he has nearly posted a perfect national event score. We talked about Jeff Strickland. Strick did that in Stock Eliminator. Burton has two wins in Superstock and a runner-up. Do you know what makes Burton's even more impressive? He's been What's to three races. He's Holy been to three crap. national events. Today's final round loss was his first loss in national event competition this season in Superstock. And he made a nice run to do that. Burton scored under pressure here. Like he had to win, I believe it was second round at this event to take the national points lead. Ton of pressure on him. In the final, he's 15 take 15 to lose to Rizzoli. He had one miss, if you will, in eliminations. That miss, he was 45. His worst beside that, 24 on the tree. The last four rounds of competition, he was no worse than 15. And if you think Brad Burton backed his way into this final, just look at the roster that he rolled through to get there. Knocked off Shelby Williams in round one, Randy Logie round two, former national champ Justin Lamb in round three, Larry Zavala round four, former national champ Jody Lang in the semifinals before losing to Rizzoli. Brad Burton sits atop the Superstock standings with a massive 681-point score. What are your thoughts on his performance and another massive final round with Kyle Rizzoli? Well, Luke, if uh, if I could... If we were playing one word right now, I would say clutch. Uh, Brad is in, in an incredible points battle with some incredibly talented racers. And the pressure is on. The pressure is on every round. And and the the gauntlet that he had to go through to reach that final to face Rizzoli is murder's road. So bad Brad showed up absolute clutch right there and put himself in a great position, obviously, uh, still with an opportunity to improve, but got to do something extra special to get that done. Got to get the win in Pomona. But 681, very, very stout number. And, you know, impressive performance by him all year long, as we've discussed on many shows. Uh, you know, do do we expect him to improve? No, but 
if he did improve and got to the 702, uh, going to make him even more challenging to get around. Obviously, you're about to talk about some people with, an, with a you know, mathematical opportunity to do that, but still monumental task. Yeah, let's get to the rundown and ultimately the odds. Brad Burton, your current leader, 681 points. To your point, Jed, it is not likely that that score improves. The only way, Brad Burton cannot earn points this weekend at the divisional event in Las Vegas. The only way that he could improve his score is to improve at Pomona. And he's trying to improve that runner up for, from today. Win Pomona, that's the only way that he could improve in his score. So let's say that that 681 is the mark. At this point, there are one, two, three, four remaining drivers with a mathematical chance to surpass Burton's current total. Wyatt Wagner, Tyler Cahili, Kyle Rizzoli, Ryan Montford. And each of them have got a pretty long row ahead, assuming that Burton does not improve. We'll take Wagner first. He's got the best shot. He's, 600, he's at 624 points right now. That's 57 points behind Burton. He's improving a third round loss at this weekend's divisional. He's improving a second round loss at the national event in Pomona. So if Wagner were to win this weekend, he still wouldn't be leading. He'd be three points behind Brad Burton, but then he would only have to improve on a second round loss in Pomona. Regardless of what happens this weekend, Wyatt Wagner will go into Pomona with a shot. So no matter what happens this weekend, it's not going to be over. No matter what, Wyatt Wagner could win Pomona and overtake Brad Burton. So if he does not improve at Vegas, again, he'd still be the champ with a win at Pomona. Tyler Cahili, who's actually ahead of Wagner in the standings right now, he has 632 points. He's improving a third round loss this weekend at the Divisional. He's improving a quarterfinal in Pomona. Tyler can take the lead by winning the points meet this weekend. However, if he fails to advance to round five this weekend, he can no longer win the championship. So his championship hopes are predicated on a deep run this weekend. Kyle Rizzoli, we mentioned, just pulled off the victory today. That keeps his hopes alive. He moves to 635 points, tied for second with Brian Warner right now. Rizzoli cannot improve this weekend at Las Vegas. He's out of division races. All he's got left is Pomona. He's improving a third round loss. He would have to win Pomona to pass Brad Burton. And then the longest of long shots, Big Jed, our man Ryan Monford, still with a mathematical shot. He is 120 points back at this point, but he's improving second round losses at both of the remaining races. He would have to win in Pomona and at least runner up in Vegas. So it's a shot. So you're telling me there's a chance, but it's a long shot for one Ryan Montford. For the odds from our friends at Winlight Bets, Big Jed, Brad Burton, obviously the favorite at four to three, which means you could wager 300 of your mythical $1,000. And if Brad Burton wins the championship, you would win back $400. Wyatt Wagner at four to one, Tyler Cahili at six to one. The odds get longer for Kyle Rizzoli. He is a 10 to 1 to win the championship. And then obviously Ryan Montford, the longest of long shots at 40 to 1 right now. Big Jed, are you ready to wager any of your $1,000 in the Superstock category? And if so, who are you putting that money on? So, yeah, Luke, uh, I'm definitely ready. But before I, I get to my bet, the, the ceilings that are still possible with one divisional and one national remaining, in super stock category just validates what we've been saying all year about yeah. this incredible points chase. I mean, you've still got a racer 
that's has that has a ceiling of 743 points, Luke. That's where and Wyatt Wagner's at. Was, if Wyatt Wagner wins each of his two remaining races, he could end up with 743. Keep in mind, no one to date has ever posted a 700 plus score and not won the world championship, which brings is worth bringing up. Had Brad Burton won that final round today, he'd be at 702. It wouldn't be mathematically over, but I think Brad Burton would sleep a lot better tonight with 702 than he will at 681. I agree. And obviously, if one racer accomplishes their 700 plus ceiling, that will keep other racers from being able to do it. So it's not like we'll have multiple that could finish over 700. But regardless, you've got one, two, three competitors with a ceiling above 700. If things went their way, it's incredible. I mean, this points battle is unbelievable. The other two, their ceiling is 689, 696. So, so much fun to watch and still here we are this late in the season with this kind of pressure on those guys. I think, uh, I think that's going to impact the results, which is why I know the odds aren't great for making money on bad Brad Burton, but I certainly don't think I will lose any. I feel very confident in bad Brad to get this done. So I'm going to put 200 of my dollars. I'm going to put 300, I'm sorry, of my dollars to win 400 on bad Brad Burton. Uh, I don't feel like he will improve, but I'm just not sure these other guys are going to be able to accomplish such a, a, a difficult task to get by him. So I'm going to put $300 on bad Brad Burton to try to win just a measly hundred bucks. Well, I mean, it'd be 400, but I'll profit a hundred. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's solid. You're going to wager a third of your stack on Brad Burton. His odds are pretty good, Big Jed. That said, I'm going to go the other way. I'm essentially going to fade Brad Burton. As we go through this, I'm I'm going with the the more certain money throughout. I'm going to I'm going to stick with the favorites. I'm going to do a lot of what you just did here. Superstock's the one where I'm going to take a bit of a flyer. I, and and I couldn't even pick out which driver I think's going to get hot. I just got a feeling somebody's going to do it. So I'm going to take a little bit of my stack. I'm going to put $50 on Wyatt Wagner at four to one. I'm going to put $50 on Tyler Kahili at six to one. I'm going to put $50 on Kyle Rizzoli at 10 to one. Basically fading Brad Burton. Not that Brad can do much about it at this point. I assume he's going to be at these last two races, but he's essentially playing blocker. He can't improve his score. He's got to hope or perhaps at some point take matters into his own hands that one of those three doesn't get hot. I'll take a bit of a flyer because the odds are high. The payoff is good. I'll say one of those three makes a run that ultimately knocks off Brad Burton. Top dragster, Big but Jed. Luke, is... you're, you're giving up 100 guaranteed. Yes. No matter no matter even if you do well. So you you need one of those bottom two picks to come through for you to actually make some halfway decent money. So I get your strategy, but this is mm. gonna have this is quite the gamble on your part. Now that you put it like that, that might not have been that smart. I'm not a gambler, Big Jim. It looks good on paper. <laughs> when you put it like that, I'm like, man, I feel really good if Wyatt Wagner won this thing. I'd be fifty dollars a hit. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to top dragster, Big Jim. This is while Superstock has been the most entertaining throughout the year, I think it is uh, unquestionable that Top Dragster is the most compelling championship chase moving forward. Vince Mussolino currently leads with 609 points. Clint Geisy trails by a little over a round at 597 points. Both of those drivers can earn points at Vegas this weekend 
and at the World Finals in Pomona. This weekend, Mussolino, he works to improve a third-round loss, while Geisy has to go one round less to start earning points. He begins improving a second-round loss. So when his win light comes on second round, he makes up ground. In Pomona, Geisy once again improving a second-round loss, while Mussolino can throw away a first-round loss in Pomona. So, again, Geisy has to go one last round to improve in Vegas, but Mussolino has to go one last round to improve in Pomona. When you combine that with the fact that Mussolino has a slight lead right now, he's got to be the favorite, but not by much, Big Jed. Also worth noting, another very long shot, but former NHRA world champion Blake Peevler, still alive as the longest of long shots. He could take the lead with a win this weekend in Vegas and hold it, assuming that Vince Mussolino fails to improve at either event and Clint Geisy adds less than 23 points to his current score. So our friends at Winlight Bets have set it at Vince Mussolino is the favorite at three to two odds. And you bet 300 to win 200. Clint Geisy at an even two to one. And Blake Peevler at the long shot, 20 to one. And I believe that they gave, I think Peevler's odds would have been longer were it not for the fact that he is a former world champion who has been known to make a run like this. You put any, I'll be honest, Jed, top dragster to me felt like a stay away. Like I, I, I think whichever way I go is bound to be wrong, but I am going to place a wager. You put in any of your money, you've got $700 left to wager. Is any of that going into the middle and top dragster? Yeah, Luke, I'm a, I'm going to put a hundred dollars to my man, Vance. You know, I, I, Vance, as I stated last week in the show, reached out to me through messenger and, and how I, yeah, he confirmed how I, how I categorized his season, and that like makes us best friends. So yeah, I'm riding that horse. Hundred dollars on my man Vince to get it done. Very low on the profit, but uh, it's going to be a huge turnaround for me because you're going to lose one fifty mm. on your mm. pick, and I'm going to gain something. I still ain't figured out how the numbers work, but I'm going to gain something. You're gonna you're gonna bet a hundred to win one hundred fifty. <laughs> Yes. So, so yes, to your point, as much as I feel like top dragster is a stay away, I like the numbers. I like the odds as they compare to the chances. Getting Clint Geisy at at two to one, I just feel like they're basically on even footing at this point. Mussolino and Geisy. So if I pick Geisy and I'm right, the payoff is better. As a result, $150 of my money, my, my, my fake money, but my money. It's going on Division Six. I'm going Washington in this battle of Washington versus New York. The cross-country showdown for Top Dragster. Give me 150 on Clint Geisy. So as we move on, you have wagered 400 of your dollars. I have wagered 300 of my dollars. We'll go into competition eliminator, Big Jed, where nothing changed last weekend. Neither Bruno Massel nor Jim Greenett could earn points at the Vegas National event. So neither one of them took a chance of hurting index, hurting the race cars. They, they didn't compete. They will be competing there this weekend. It is down to those two. Bruno leads Greenack by 24 points. Both of them can earn points at one more event. It's this weekend's Lucas Oil Series race in Las Vegas. They both look to improve a 53-point score. That is a third-round loss in Vegas. The max points available, 95. So they each could stand to improve by 42. Put that long story short, Big Jet, for Jim Greenheck to surpass Bruno Massel Jr. and win the competition eliminator world championship. He has to win the race and 
not beat Bruno Massel in the final. If those two things happen, Jim Greenack is your competition eliminator world champion. If they do not, Bruno Massel gets number four. He becomes the first four-time world champion in competition eliminator history. And as a result, I'm going big on Bruno. I think this is a can't miss. Our friends at Win Light Bets set the odds at Bruno Massel five to four. Jim Greenack, eight to one, which means that the 500, I did not stutter, $500, half of my stack that I'm going to wager on Bruno Massel stands to net me back 625 when he hoists the Wally at the end. Should you choose to fade that big jet and put $100 on Jim Greenick, you could stand to win $800 if, $800 if I'm wrong. Are you willing to do so or are you putting any money on competition limit? Uh, yeah, Luke, I'm going to I'm gonna put uh, $200 on Bruno. And I'm going to uh, spread that down a little bit because Greenhick has a chance. He's he's one of the, the better racers in the category. So this doesn't seem like a, a pipe dream for him to be able to get this done. Put $50 on Greenhick. Oh, a hedging of the bet here. Do I, do I see a hedge? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't okay. know what that means, but yeah, sounds good. All right, so guaranteed to, to lose one way or another here on Competition Limited. But you're saying, so if Bruno were to win here at five to four, you would basically cover your bet. You'd come back out even. If Greenack wins, you would have wagered 250 to win 400. So there's a part of you actually rooting for Jim Greenack here. It would help you. It would destroy me. You know, which is the main goal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just so we're yeah. clear on that. Yeah, if we're, if we're just telling the truth here. All right, so at this point, I have wagered most of my stack. I've got 800 of my mythical dollars invested. You are at 650 out of your $1,000 as we move into Super Gas, where season-long points leader Sherman Adcock Jr. still holds a solid, albeit precarious, lead with 678 points. Only two drivers at this point can surpass him. It is the same two we've been talking about for several weeks. It is Austin Williams. It is Trevor Larson. For Williams, who currently has 592 points, the road is very long. He would have to win both events. Actually, if he were to win a national and runner up at the divisional, that would leave him tied. No idea who would win the tiebreaker. So let's just say for the, the purpose of ease, Austin has to win both races to win the world championship. Trevor Larson has a considerably better shot. He currently trails Sherman Adcock Jr. by just 53 points. He is improving a 50, a third round loss this weekend. That means that if he were to win this weekend, he would overtake Sherman and for the championship lead and be the likely world champion. He's also still improving a 40, a second round loss at Pomona. So even if he fails to improve this weekend, he still has a shot. He could win it with Pomona. Win either race, Larson is the champ. There are some other scenarios that could get him there, seeing as there are two races left. If, for example, he were to advance to the semifinal at both races, he would eclipse Sherman Adcock's mark. Sherman still the heavy favorite. Our friends at Winlight Bets have him at 11 to 10, Big Jed. That means bet 100 to win 110. We've also got Trevor Larson at 4 to 1, Austin Williams in the longest of long shots, at 40 to 1. Is any of your money going in the middle in the 990 category? Uh, Luke, there's no money to be made here if Sherman wins, um, but there's no way I'm betting on anyone but Sherman. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay simple here and just bet uh, $50 on Sherman. My, my, my bet amount 
is no indication of my confidence level and my guy that I picked from day one, but I'm just, there's no money to be made here. This thing seems very simple and somewhat mathematical, although Trevor, much respect to even get himself in this position, but I'm going to stay with my, with my $50 bet for sure. I'm with you. I, I looked at all of these, Jed, and I thought, man, I want to gamble. I really want to gamble. I want to, I want to take a bit of a long shot. But when I looked at it, as much as I like Trevor's chances, I can't bet against Sherm. I already knowingly jinxed him, right? I can't continue down that path, Big Jed. I took my long shot in Superstock, even though I I kind of hedged my bets and maybe didn't make a great bet, as you so so willingly pointed out. Uh, I'm with you. I, I'm taking the remainder of my dollars here, my $200. It's all going on Sherman Adcock Jr. There's not much to be made there, but I... I I think that's going to hold up. And quite honestly, 678, when you win five of the first six races you went to, it ought to hold up. It'd be $200 on Sherman Adcock to win a whopping 220. <laughs> that's a huge profit. Interesting yeah. side bet. Number nine side combo note. on the way home. Yeah, that's right. Interesting side <laughs> note from the weekend. Sherman Adcock Jr., Big Jed, I think Phil Unruh made the Christmas list. I think that's fair to assume at this point. Sherman Adcock Jr. will be sending Phil Unruh a Christmas card. The two racers that had an opportunity, still have an opportunity to surpass Sherman Adcock. Phil Unruh defeated Austin Williams in round one. Phil Unruh defeated Trevor Larson in round two. How ironic is that after a season ago? Phil Unruh sitting there saying, Sherm, I know what it's like to go late in the season. And there's one dude with a snowball's chance in hell of catching you. And I know what it's like to watch it happen round after round after round. If I have anything to say about that, I will not allow that to happen to you, Sherman Adcock Jr. Kudos to Phil Unruh for taking a stand, Big Jed. Not only did he do it, he laid down the exact same run in round one and round two. He's 17, dead on with a six in both instances. That was good enough to beat Austin Williams. That was good enough to beat Trevor Larson. Then in round three, he said, you know what? I'm going to race somebody that's not racing for a world championship. And when I do, I'm going to step up my game. In round three, Phil Unruh was 11, dead on zero. And while both of those 23 packages worked against two of the top three drivers in the nation with no problem, you know what 11 total did not do in round three? It did not work beside Greg Ventura. Unruh made the three, arguably the three best runs of the weekend. Well, three of the four, at least. Greg Ventura made a better one in round three to eliminate Phil Unruh from competition. Pretty wild story, especially when you take into context last year's result with Bob Locke coming out of nowhere. Had to win the damn race, Big Jed, to knock off Phil Unruh and deny him that world championship. Obviously, Bob Locke did just that. Yeah, Bob Locke's story obviously is is one of, of just unbelievable, um, uh, what am I, triumph. And, you know, in life and on the track and and now, you know, Phil is in the middle of this thing again, somewhat, but just as an innocent bystander, but still trying to win the damn race and lays down some good runs, gets by the, you know, the two that are most threatening to Sherman. So, yeah, he's making a Christmas list for sure, Luke. There's no doubt about that. Uh, much respect for Phil and, you know, Greg Ventura, a, a, a long time super gas competitor that's you know, got a lot of talent and great equipment and the, the 11 total don't get by him. But that That's a tough one to take. That's a real tough one to take. But you think about having, uh, you think about having Austin and Trevor and then Greg Venture back to back to back, dude, 
field was laying down some killer runs, obviously running the one that did come up a little short by a thou, but um, I'm sure that he is uh, continuing to, to stay out there and do some racing. So Sherman's probably pulling for, for him to, to get in those boys way again. Cause um, I, you know, I just, I feel, I got this eerie feeling about Trevor. We know how good he is. Austin's got a, a huge challenge in front of him, but Trevor, Oh, that guy's so good, Luke. And while it sounds very difficult, what he's got to do, it just don't seem that hard for Trevor Larson. No. He's capable of doing that. So that's not something that's out of the, the realm of possibility for him. So it's got me scared it's, it's a little not, bit. It's not outside the realm of possibility and certainly not for someone of Trevor's talents. But I'm telling you, it's easy for all of us. It's easy for you and me. It's easy for all of our listeners to say, he's got two races. All he's got to do is win one or hell. Just go to like the semis twice, make two deep runs. It doesn't look that daunting until you got to do it to win the world championship. And with it's one of those things I've talked about this before. You come into that and you can frame it in a way as like, hey, there's no pressure, right? Nobody expects me to actually pull this off. But with every win light that comes on, that pipe dream becomes just a little bit more real. And the pressure 100% builds, completely self-inflicted. But everybody at those two facilities, everybody at those two facilities knows exactly what Trevor Larson needs to do to win the world. And if they forget, Reinhardt will remind them every time that Trevor Larson pulls into the staging lane. So it's a tough day. It it makes what Bob Locke did last year all the more impressive because he dealt with all of that every step of the way. The result like that, regardless of who you are, how much you've been through that, the experience that you have, the results that Bob Locke saw last week, last year, are not common. It is one of the hardest things to do in racing. If anybody can do it, it's Trevor. But let's not understate how, let's not, yeah, understand how difficult that is. I'm not sure if I said that correctly, but I think you know where I was going with it. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's a, it's a huge challenge and going to take uh going to take someone with some extraordinary calm inside of them to go up there and perform because that pressure as you know Luke that that pressure uh it it, it reaches the button on the wheel and uh that you know as that as that tension starts to rise in the late rounds that pressure on the button gets more so uh, Trevor no doubt can handle it but uh, but he'll have to which is which is the challenge uh, having to do it is the challenge um so you know I'm riding it I'm riding it all the way out with Sherm, hoping, hoping my man gets I see a trend in your betting pattern, Big Jed. You, you've bet on one <laughs> non-leader to this point, and it was a complete yep. hedge. It was, I'm, I'm taking both sides of this thing in competition eliminator. We've got super comp is all that we've got left. I've wagered all my money. I've spent. I'm, I'm done. If, I'm, if my math is right, you have $300 left to throw into the pool. Is that correct? $300 yes, at super correct. comp, where... It's not over. I don't even want to say it's completely over. John LaBoost Jr. has a stranglehold on this. He is the odds-on favorite. He sits at 677 points. He is done. He will not improve that score. By my math, Big Jed, Tanner Theobald is the only driver with a chance at overtaking John LaBoost Jr. He trails by 75 points. In order to overtake LaBoost, Tanner would have to win Pomona, nothing less than a win at Pomona, and advance to the final round this weekend in Las Vegas. So minimum runner up this weekend. And then still, even if he wins this weekend, still has to win Pomona. That's why Winlight Bets puts the odds on John LaBoose at 21 to 20. 
you get a whopping 5% on your money. Tanner Theobald's odds long at 50 to 1. And in the words of Rex Simmermaker himself, they would be longer if it wasn't in Las Vegas and Pomona, two of Tanner's quote unquote home tracks. Where's your $300 going in Supercom? Uh, Luke, I'm going to bet 275 of that 300 <laughs> on Caboose. Okay, and so this is obviously, this is not a design to maximize your $1,000. This is strictly <laughs> no, a design no. to embarrass me. This is strictly- This is just trying to beat you. See, I did not approach this this way. This was a competition between Jed and Luke in which Jed is making damn sure that he wins the competition, just so we're clear. Uh, 275 this, this on the surgery. Serves you right for all those trivia times where you, you knew I wouldn't know the answers. So, <laughs> and I'm going to put my remaining 25 on Tanner. Fair enough. Fair enough. That would be 25 to win 1250, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sounds okay. good. All right. So yeah, Jed's so, pretty yeah. well got his yeah. bases covered. There is no scenario in which Jed hits a home run here. Also, very little scenario in which he loses any money. He's probably going to come out at a thousand dollars or close i'm in bad shape here i really i admire what you've done here big jed and at the same time i highly dislike it <laughs> I, I really don't have any idea what i'm doing but i'm i'm halfway decent at math so i've just really tried to tried to play it where i couldn't lose uh and not not really trying to win which which is a terrible strategy why bet the money if you're not trying to win but all i'm trying to do is protect it and not lose which is silly. See, you put me in a situation, Big Jed. I guess I've put myself in the situation. I don't want to root against Brad Burton. Like after what he went through last year, I want him to win the world championship. And the last thing, as much as I like Kyle Rizzoli, he's already won one this year. He don't need to. <laughs> what I want to happen so badly, just for the purposes of this podcast, is I want Kyle Rizzoli to go to Pomona and win the damn race so I can get 10 to 1 on that $50. And just run it right up your bunghole. <laughs> like a 40 mile an hour breeze. Like a 40 mile an hour tailwind. Uh, that was good stuff. That was fun, Luke. I, may, I might learn something on how to how to go betting. So we'll we'll see how this all works out. But awesome stuff. So what we got next week? Really just reviewing our bets and the, the Vegas Divisional. Probably all so. I can think of. I might have a story or two from Gulfport Dragway and King of the Coast, but no, nothing, yeah. nothing really notable on the schedule except for the season ending Lucas Oil Series event in Las Vegas, which will probably go a long way into clarifying most, not all, but most of the championship chases that we just discussed. Yeah, great point. And uh, as you said, you're going to the, the King of the Coast race in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi. If folks are out there still looking to, to get your racing fix in and uh, go somewhere where the program is very, very well ran and just fun all around. That's the king of the coast. Galen and Britt and Tommy and the gang down there at Gulfport Dragway put on a great show. Wishing you and Gary a lot of luck down there. Bogak. I've, I've gutted out this 40-degree weather for all of 72 hours, Big Jed. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Up there. Time to get back to the 70s, bro. going to be a good time maybe even 80s down there in Gulfport. So y'all have fun. Can't wait to hear the stories from it. And can't wait to review our bets and certainly the, the actual results from the racetrack on the on the track action there at the Vegas Divisional. And again, uh, as you said earlier, thank you, Rex Simmermaker, uh, you know, helping us with these odds and, and really giving us something to, to work from was uh, valuable in this exercise. So 
We appreciate Win Light Bets and Rex Simmermaker. All right, guys. Well, I think that wraps us up. Uh, great show, uh, just about the right length, and uh, and we had some fun in there. So we'll uh, we'll talk next week about all of the the action from Vegas, and uh, and certainly the King of the Coast is uh, that's where Luke will be. And you know, we enjoyed talking to you about what we had this week. If there's uh, something that you thought we should have talked about, or shouldn't have talked about. Did we get it wrong on anything? Bets are wrong? Whatever. There's a place where you can let us know. That's right here at Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page where you're catching this live. And um, you can let us know publicly or you can tell us privately. And producer Mark will snag that up and let us know what you had to say. Luke, I've seen you go to the notebook a time or two. I think we had a zinger or two that you recorded. What you got? What's the shout out? Probably going to reiterate a few things here, but shouts to Rex, as you said, for uh, for making that fun for us. Shouts to you and your betting habits, Big Jen. I think it's a little bit dirty, but I can appreciate it. I appreciate where you come from. <laughs> shouts, to the, shouts to the bungholes, whether it's a 40-mile-an-hour tailwind or a Kyle Rizzoli wind light. I, I don't know what's going in there, but something. Something big, Jeff. <laughs> Shouts to us and our and our and our amazing predictions for the uh, the Summit ET World Championships. We we batted a, a zero, complete trip zeros all the way around. And shouts to Kyle Seipel. It's all good, homie. It's all good, homie. <laughs> yes, very well done. And. Uh, I'll reiterate the shouts to us. Uh, although we did miss those picks in the sportsman and the ET categories, we still remain the number one hosting duo of sportsman drag race in the podcast world. What other sportsman drag racing podcast, Big Jed, could take one event, one single event worth talking about on the weekend and turn it into 80 plus minutes of content? It's just us. <laughs> That's why we're the best areas, Luke. I mean, we wake up in the morning, piss ex- 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 excellence. I couldn't even say it. I mean, I'm so excited about saying that. I couldn't even say it. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Uh, guys, uh, Luke and I are both active on the X, formerly known as Twitter, or still maybe known as Twitter. We don't know. Uh, you can add us, tag us, bag us, whatever you do there. I'm thinking about going to that app soon in the next few weeks and looking and seeing if anybody's ever tagged me or added me on anything. <laughs> I, I, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We look forward to hearing from you anytime and all the time. We appreciate you watching. If you're tuning in live here on Monday night, if this is Friday and you're just now getting around to it and listening, we appreciate you listening. Again, as I say every week, if you're doing both, get yourself a hobby. Or, you know, find you something else to do. Because, I mean, my goodness, wow. you're really, really bored. Nonetheless, we appreciate it. We thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we can't wait to talk to you next week about more sports. Oh, drag races. Long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. 
at the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.